0: what we understand as the first miracle, the first public miracle that Jesus ever acted on. The first public miracle he ever did here in the book of John and chapter number two. So what we'll do is we'll go ahead and read the scriptures. We'll see what the Bible says in John chapter two, verses one through 12. As we get ready to study what exactly Jesus is getting ready to do, he starts his public ministry. Because last week, we saw where he picked out his disciples Man, he went, he started his public ministry, he got his disciples, and now they're traveling. And this is one of the first acts that he ever uh, did as a miracle, starting in verse number one. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, woman. What have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, and after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bare it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man in the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until "until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. Notice that phrase, verse number 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifest forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Our Father, Lord, again, we just want to love you, we want to praise you. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, give us wisdom and clarity as it pertains to this scripture tonight. Lord, I ask that you would just help us uh, to hear from you. Help us to have open hearts again and open minds. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. For it's in your name we pray and in your name we ask these things. Amen. So folks, as we see what we've been talking about, we've been going step by step through the life of Jesus Christ. We know he was Born as a baby, he grew, he learned to walk and to talk. And and then we only saw that one little time where he was a 12-year-old boy that he was left at the temple, You know, his mom and dad just left without him. And then we see he all of a sudden comes walking onto the scene where John the Baptist was. And John the Baptist was preaching. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom at that time. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, those are my people. Those are the ones that I want to associate myself with. And he walks out and with John the Baptist, and he asks John, he says, John, I, I need you to baptize me. And, of course, John, being a wise man, says, Lord, no, you don't understand. It's not it's of not me to baptize you. You're the son of God. And he says, no, this is, this is what we need. So, so John, the Bible says, the word it was used, that he suffered him. He just said, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, I'll do it. So John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ. I mean, could you imagine being a person to do that? To be the one to baptize the Son of God. I mean, that's, I mean, you talk about an immense privilege. And then at that moment, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down from heaven in the form of a dove and lighted upon him. It rested upon Jesus. And then Jesus, now having uh, the Holy Spirit in a way that we see, and we talked about that a little bit during that service, he now went and started his public ministry. We see he went and he got his disciples He went down to the shore. He went down to where the fishermen were. He got some hard-working men to to follow him and to say, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then now that he has his disciples and we studied what a disciple of Jesus was, now he is getting ready to show himself for who he is. He is now ready to show people, hey, I'm the Messiah. He's ready to prove it. He wants to prove, (coughs) excuse me, he wants to prove that he is who he said he was. You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm Jesus. But it's another thing totally to prove it. It's another thing when he started actually acting on it and, and doing miracles and doing things that no one had ever seen before. That's another thing entirely. Did you know there are people, even in our day, that have tried to say, hey, I am Jesus. they try tried to say, hey, I, I'm the Messiah. And at the end of it, we know they're just they're nuts, you know, they're, they're lunatics, right? But they, they tried to say that. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to prove it. And that's what Jesus is getting ready to do here. So here, Jesus and his disciples and his mother, we know they were already together at this point. They were invited to come to this wedding. They were invited to come to where evidently it was someone maybe they all knew. So they went there, and if you understand the the feast of those days, it wasn't just like a, you know, an hour-long thing that we would go to like we do today. Man, a feast, it was a big deal in this day. And, you know, so they got to this feast, and something kind of odd happens. Have you ever been to any kind of meal with a big group of people and then ran out of food? I mean, you know, maybe it's an American culture thing. Maybe we just have, you know, maybe because of the abundance that we have. I don't know. But if you, when you go to Thanksgiving dinner, right? Usually at the end of it, you're dividing up everything that's left between everyone there. Okay, you know, here's here's three unopened bottles of coke. Your guy's gonna take these, you guys are gonna take the rest of the turkey, you guys are gonna take the potato salad, you're dividing it up. But here in this scripture, the Bible says in verse number three, and when they wanted wine, want in the sense that they needed some. They were in want of it. They ran out. This is something that they were in need of, and that's Man, if you ask me, that's kind of odd. I mean, how how could you run out of something when you're preparing this feast? That's not something normally we run into. So Mary, she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, look, we have this problem. We need you to fix it. And you know, the first time I read this, it kind of struck me what Jesus' answer was. Notice what Jesus said to Mary in verse number four. Jesus saith unto her. Now again, this is Mary. This is his mom. Jesus saith unto her, Woman. What have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. I thought, I read that and I thought, what? Well, why, why would Jesus say that? Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we have this problem. We need you to fix it. And Jesus' answer was, woman, well, I what, what have I got to do with you? You know, my, my hour has not come yet. What, what do I have to do with this situation? And I'm thinking, that's, that just seems kind of out of character almost a little bit for, for Jesus to say something like that. And, you know, it was, it was a very intriguing statement, and I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to it. We're just going through the passage for a minute. So he, he answers in this odd way, and then Mary, she gives all the servants some of the best advice anyone could ever give to anybody. She looks at the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. I mean, some would say, oh, that was a political answer. Let me tell you what, that's the best answer anyone could have ever said. Whatever this guy, whatever the Son of God tells you to do, you do it. And so that's what they did. So Jesus, he proceeds to fix the problem. He tells these servants, he says, hey, I want you to get these six pots, go down, fill them up with water. The Bible says they filled them up to the brim. And then they brought these pots of water back in. And then the the master of the feast, the guy that's putting on this whole feast, they go and they give him drink. And the Bible says that he didn't know what this was. He was still thinking it was going to be water. But see, if you look at verse number nine, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. He didn't know what had happened, right? He didn't know that Jesus had already done this miracle. He didn't know. So he tasted this and he thought, Man, this tastes so much better than all the other stuff we've already had. Where did this come from? What happened? You know, normally, and this was his statement, he said, normally, you give all the good stuff first and then you wait and you get, give all the, the, the worst tasting stuff later. You know, you get, put the best stuff forward, but you know, why did you guys save this for me? Well, or, me? Why did you save it for the last? And so it was something they knew that was so much better. He didn't know. But the servants that drew the water... They saw that something had happened. They saw something that didn't make sense. Hey, I just went down and filled this pot up with water, and that's not water in there anymore. How did that happen? Right? I mean, have you ever just filled up a cup, and then all of a sudden it's sitting there, and it's something totally different? And notice what the, verse number 11 tells us. This is the whole point of what Christ did here. This is the point. Don't miss this point right here. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. That's what he was doing. Listen, he didn't act out this miracle because the people were thirsty. Okay? He didn't do this just because it was some kind of neat little party trick. Jesus Christ wanted to show his glory. He wanted to prove to everyone there that he was who he said he was. And he answered that even to his disciples. Look at the second part of verse 11. And his disciples believed on him. See, there again, it was one thing for Jesus to start saying, I am the Son of God. Hey, it's me. I'm the Messiah. That's one thing. But then to do something that no one else could have done and to prove his power, that's something totally different. And folks, that's what Jesus was getting ready to do here. So what we want to see here out of this passage, we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to answer some of these questions about how we need to be looking at Jesus Christ and his power and trusting in him for his power. Folks, number one, I want us to see this. And this is a very interesting thought, the way Jesus answered this. I want us to see the position of Jesus Christ himself. I want us to see his position. Here's what I mean there. Look again at verse number three. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine, Jesus saith unto her. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And I thought, again, I, I, I read this answer, and I'm thinking, Why? Why would Jesus talk that way to his mom? Why would he say that? Why would he give that answer? And folks, there's two parts to who Jesus is. We know that Jesus Christ is a... A hundred percent man. He was man. He had a body. He had a physical mother. He had to be born. We talked about it. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He got hungry. He got tired. He was hundred percent man. And thus, he was the son of Mary, physically speaking. Now, we know he was the son of God, but physically speaking, he was born of the Virgin Mary. But on the other hand, he was still 100% the God Almighty. This was him. This was God in the flesh. This was the God in all his glory veiled in a body. And I believe what's happening here is giving us a clue to who he is as it relates to his relationship with Mary. First, we know, sure, he was a son of Mary. We talked about how even Jesus, there were times where he had to obey his mom. I mean, think of that. The Son of God had to obey someone that was, let's face it, was a sinner. He had to obey someone that was inferior to Him, that uh, that was created by Him. He had to obey that person. The Bible says specifically that He was subject unto His parents. Now that Christ is grown, He's a man, He's starting His ministry. In this passage, He is now portraying Himself as God he's portraying himself as master as lord as powerful so what's happening is i believe jesus is very tenderly yet firmly showing mary who he is i believe there's a reason he answered this way see we've we've kind of we've kind of confused who mary is today i mean let's face it there are people today that call mary the queen of heaven now that's a title that some people would give her Some people call her Mary, Mother of God. There are some people that would bow down and they would worship Mary. You know, they give her all these these names and try try to lift her up. But notice, in this passage, God Himself looks at her and says, Woman, what have I to do with thee? I think in a sense, Jesus, in this passage, is maybe even looking forward at us and what we have here in the Bible and wanting us to see that there is a definite position there. That sure, she gave birth to Jesus and who he was, but Jesus was still her Lord. Jesus was still her master. She still had a need to be saved by him. She still had a need to have her sins forgiven as well. So his answer in verse number four, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So while today, men, they try to lift Mary up and they call her queen and and the mother of God, God himself just simply called her woman. And, and that wasn't that he was trying to be disrespectful. Look, look that's not in Jesus' nature. He's not a disrespectful person. But in the context of what he is trying to say, he was just addressing her as someone of, of not authority over him. Does that, does that make sense? I hope I'm, I'm coming across there in the right way. Jesus is wanting to show his position. So yeah, He was the son of Mary, but he was also Mary's God. He was also Mary's savior. And it's not up to us to worship the one that Jesus just simply called her woman. It's up to us to worship God. It is up to us to worship Jesus Christ, the savior. So folks here, what he does in verse number four, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And you know, that's a phrase that we see Jesus actually use quite a bit. He says, "My hour is not yet come," or when he's getting ready to go to the cross, he talks about the hour is coming he's talking about that day looking forward to when he is going to die on the cross you know that was his whole purpose he knew that time was coming he was always looking forward to the cross so whenever we see that passage or you see that phrase used about the Lord's hour coming that's what he's talking about so in that context, woman. What have I to do with thee? What importance is this situation to me? Mine hour is not yet coming. That's why I'm here. That's my purpose for coming. That's my purpose for being here on earth is for that hour. And if we ever have any curiosity as to why Jesus would come, he came for the cross. That's why. Maybe Mary didn't know it yet, but she one day would. She would one day understand. And so with that, Maybe she sent that into her heart. We don't understand exactly what her reaction was. But she just simply told these men, whatever this guy tells you to do, servants, you go and do it. He is over you. He is your master. He is your Lord. And Mary even affirmed that statement. So we see one, folks, Jesus has that position. Listen, we ought not ever put anyone or anything over our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. He is it. He is the top. There is nothing over that. Secondly, we're going to see Jesus in his power, right? He has that great position that he shows us, but now he's getting ready to show his power. And there were set there six water pots, verse number six, of stone. And after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece, Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. They filled them up as much as they possibly could. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. Hey, get some of that water you just filled up and go give it to the master of this feast. And they bear it. They took it to him. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, every man that beginning doth set forth good wine. And when the men have well drunk Then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Folks, now we're seeing ultimately the power of Jesus Christ. We're going to see his power. Folks, can I tell you that Jesus Christ has power unlike any other man that ever lived? Okay, And, and this is something that we ultimately classify as a miracle. Listen, I want to talk to you about this for a minute. Did you know there is a difference between a miracle and a blessing? Okay, there's a difference between a miracle and a blessing. And I think it's important for us to distinguish between those two. When God performs a miracle, that is when something happens that is beyond the laws of nature. Okay, that is when something happens that is absolutely unexplainable. it is beyond human comprehension. Listen, the water parts, the Red Sea, that just doesn't happen, okay? I mean, the, uh, an ocean doesn't split in half. That's a miracle. Water doesn't just all of a sudden click and turn into wine. That, that just doesn't happen. That's beyond the laws of nature. The Jordan River, it doesn't just stop and you know, just, just dry up so the Israelites can cross. Okay, that's a miracle. Furthermore, today, sometimes we use that word when God does something good. It doesn't mean it's not something great, it doesn't even mean God's not working. But I think we have to be careful in calling something that's a miracle that's not. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you have some kind of uh, awful, awful problem that comes up. Maybe it's some kind of uh, bill that's getting ready to happen. And maybe you're getting ready to lose your house. I mean, things like this happen. And you have absolutely no way out of it. You have no way to take care of this need. And, and boy, you just fall down on your face before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I need you to do something. God, help me. Help me in this situation. You know, I'm, I'm honoring you. I'm working for you. Lord, I'm, I'm where you want me to be. And then maybe out of the blue, you just get a statement back from that bill that you owe and it says paid in full. Man, that listen, that is a blessing of God. Now, would we call that a miracle? I wouldn't classify that a miracle because this is just something that God impressed upon someone else to do. That is a blessing. Did that come from God? Absolutely. Was it a supernatural miracle? Probably not. Do we see the difference? This is something that we would call a miracle that could only come directly from the power of God himself. But when God impresses upon me to do something good for someone, or he directs me here, or or someone does something good for me out of the blue, and I get a blessing that way, that's what we call a blessing. So there's a difference between the two. And I just want us to make sure we see the difference there. Here, Jesus performs a miracle. This is something no one else could have done, okay? There are other people that can be blessings to one another. Folks, I've had people be a blessing to me in ways that, that, that's just absolutely overwhelming. I mean, things have happened. I'm just thinking, wow, that, that come from the Lord. Thank you for being used of God. Thank you for doing this. And, and they have been able to be a blessing to the church. Man, they've done things for the church. They've done things for God. And, man, that's wonderful. But, you know, we can do things for one another. That's things that come from us. That's when God uses us. A miracle can only be done by God himself. See, that's the difference. And when Jesus done here, he showed his power by completely changing the very nature of what was in this water. It was just water. And when it changed, they knew that's not something a man did. That wasn't just a blessing. Hey folks, that was the power of God Almighty. Something different had happened there. And folks, miracles have purposes. Okay, miracles have purposes. And sure, Jesus was fulfilling a need. But if you ever notice, God, when he does something, it's usually because he's got something he needs to prove or something he needs to accomplish. In this story here, or in this, it's not really just a story. Boy, this happened. This is history. He needed to show his disciples that he was God. He needed to show his glory. He needed to show his power. And folks, many times when God does these things or when he acts on a miracle, he's trying to teach someone something. He's doing these things for a reason. Maybe he's giving a sign. So we see that God was working an absolute miracle and he was showing his power. And can I tell you this? Jesus, my God, my Father, he still has this power, okay? He's not here, but he still has this power. And one day we're going to see it. Maybe I've never seen the, the waters park, okay? Maybe I've never seen water turn to wine. Maybe I've never seen the River Jordan dry up. I've, I've never seen these things. But I want to tell you, I still believe it. And as we talk about a lot, you know, I, I love just looking around and seeing the power of God. We might not actually see the miracle happen, but all we have to do is walk outside and we can see the miracle that happened in Genesis chapter 1. I mean, here it is. We're living in it. God spoke, and there it is. He spoke, and all things came to be. That is an absolute miracle. Folks, Jesus Christ still has this power. And folks, I also want to mention this as well. So look what the Bible says here in verse number 9. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth a good wine. And when the men had well drunk, then that which was worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Folks, we cannot, it's, it's impossible to read this scripture and to not come upon the, the, the famous debate and wonder, was this, was this some form of alcoholic wine that Jesus Christ gave to these people here at this feast? And you know, it, it only takes a few minutes of a simple research, of flipping open a book, and you will see so many people on either side of this debate. And, you know, and I could show you Scripture after Scripture, thought after thought on one side and on the other side, but I do want to say this. I want to show you the one thing out of God's Word. This isn't just a man's opinion. I want to show you the one thing out of God's Word why I cannot believe that Jesus Christ gave these people alcohol. I'll show you why I can't believe that. We believe absolutely, according to God's word, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We understand that. He's always the same. He, he never changes. We know that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't change his mind, right? He's not one way today and then another way another day. And furthermore, when he says something, he's not going to one day change his, his thoughts on it, right? He's, he's constant in that way. Folks, I want to show you, I'm going to flip to one passage of scripture. You can flip there with me if you want, but I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to look over at the book of Proverbs. The book we call the book of wisdom. The book of Proverbs. It's right after the biggest book in the Bible, Psalms. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number one. And there's actually a few scriptures here I'm going to give you. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number one. Here in this scripture, the Bible says this, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And then flip over just one page in my Bible to chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse number 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup and when it moveth itself aright, At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Folks, also chapter number 23, verse number 20. He also says this, Be not among winebibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. He says not even to be among them. So now here's what I can't get past. Here's, Here's the point I just can't get over. Because we know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. How can in one passage Jesus Christ say, hey, don't even look at the wine. then Don't even be tempted by it. Hey, wine is a mocker. And then over here in John say, hey, mom, come here. I got something for you. It's, it's not in his nature. You know, we understand that, sure, we, the Bible says that he made water into wine, but how could in one place he talk how it's, show us that it's bad, but then another place, give it to his own mother at a wedding feast? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. So why would the Bible even use that word? wine? Well, I want to show you something very quickly based off of our English translation. In your Bibles, if you flip back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, I want to show you this one, this one verse, and then we'll, we'll be finished with this idea. In the book of Isaiah, chapter number 68, or excuse me, 65. Isaiah chapter number 65. Verse number 8. Isaiah 65, verse number 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. Folks, notice what it says is in the cluster. Folks, what is a cluster? I mean, that's, that's grapes. That's, that is while it is on the vine. You can go right now to IGA and buy a cluster. That's what that is. And the word that's used is wine, as the new wine is found in the cluster. Folks, one of the things that's happening, I'm not entirely sure uh, you know, all the ins and outs of it. I'm not a, by any means a scholar in, in linguistics. But I do know that many times the word wine in the word of God is a generic term for things that come off the vine. That's just the way the way it's put in there and understanding that and knowing that statement that sometimes the Bible reads it that way. uh, There's no way that I can get over in one passage Jesus saying, don't even look at the wine. It's going to don't be tempted by it. Don't look at it. Wine's a mocker. And then that he would turn and give it to his own mom. I just can't see those two fitting together. It just doesn't make sense. It's not in his nature. So if if we're going to take one side or the other on the issue, I cannot personally believe that Jesus Christ would give these folks an alcoholic beverage at this marriage ceremony. And, of course, there's more to it, much more than that. But that's the biggest thing that, that sticks out to me here in this passage. But overall, that's not the point of what's going on here. It's just impossible to read this and not wonder. But that's not why Jesus performed this miracle. That's not why we're studying this passage. Folks, we're studying this passage because of what happens in verse number 11 and 12. This whole passage leads up to these two verses. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. Look, folks, Jesus was doing two things. Number one, his miracle, it proved that he was God. That was the point. He needed needed to prove that he was who he said he was. He already had these people following him. John the Baptist, when he was preaching, he looked and said, behold, the Lamb of God, there he is. man. that's the Son of God. And the Bible says that two of the people that were listening to John the Baptist, they said, John, we're done with you, man. We're gonna go follow this guy. But the funny thing was, he hadn't proved it yet. So then when Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding, he proved his glory. He proved it. And notice what happened after he proved it. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. His disciples believed on him. They saw what happened and they understood there's no other answer other than this being the Son of God. That's it. And when that happened, it's solidified. <coughs> excuse me. It solidified in their hearts. This is Jesus. This is God. We're following the Son of God. And folks, what we need to understand here this is this very same thing as well. We need to look at the proofs that Jesus Christ has given us. Now, can can I prove to you what's happening when it comes to science and sociology and all these things folks if you go to any university at all today they're going to tell you that the bible is a story of fables that's scientifically untrue and and these men when it comes to those to those studies they're much more knowledgeable than i am but i do understand this that there are many things that the bible proves to me that jesus christ is who he said he was Uh, Again, the Bible tells us even in Romans 1 that he has put it within us to know that he is real. Folks, God, he draws all men to himself. He showed himself as real. We just just look around at at his creation. Folks, the Bible tells us that from the invisible things of him, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead I can know that God is who he said he was because of the things that he has made, because of the difference he's made in my own life, because of the blessings that he has given me. Folks, there are some things that we can't explain in this world. Sometimes God just works things out, and he proves to us that he is who he said he was. So let let us do this. Let us trust that God is who he said he was. He proved it. Time and time again, he proved it. Folks, he proved his love when he died on the cross. That's not just a a biblical fact. That's a historic fact. That's something that happened. Folks, let's believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And let's believe on the power that he has to do these miracles. So if we could, let's have every head bowed. And we'll have every eye closed. Our Heavenly Father, we do love you. And we want to look to you and we want you to be the guide in every area of our life. We want to honor you and we want to please you. And Lord, we see here from your scripture that you did prove indeed who you said you were. Lord, many times in the scriptures, there were people that needed a sign from you. Lord, we have many infallible proofs around us. Lord, the the fact that your word is even still here is a proof. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust in these proofs that you have given us. Lord, help us to trust in the things that you've showed us and help us to look to you in every area of our lives. So, ladies and gentlemen, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I simply just want to give us a moment to do business with the Lord. Maybe the Lord has impressed something upon your heart tonight. I don't necessarily know what it would have been. But you know, we saw the position that Jesus gave Himself. Does Christ have the highest position in your life? He needed everyone to see that he was Lord even over his own mother. That even Mary was in need of a Savior. And then he came and he showed his power. Folks, can I tell you that Jesus Christ has power to help us with every area of our life? We might not see some kind of supernatural miracle, but boy, he still has that power. And he can still affect every area of my life. Folks, he's proved that he is who he said he was. Again, we might not see the miracles, but man, there's proofs all around us. We just simply need to look. We just simply need to look.